Hi, it's Matt. Just before we start the show, I want to tell you about a great live event I've got coming up on the 27th of March. To celebrate 600 episodes of Recruiting Future, I'm going to be hosting a live Ask Me Anything webinar. This is your chance to pick my brain on anything you like, including market trends and predictions, the impact of AI on recruiting, skills-based hiring, the changing role of recruiters, podcasting tips, or even my favourite Scottish tourist destinations and whiskies. Literally, ask me anything. I'll also be joined by some surprise special guests who'll be adding their perspectives to the conversation. You can sign up now by going to mattalder.me slash AMA. That's mattalder.me slash AMA. And I really look forward to seeing you there. That web address one last time. mattalder.me slash AMA. Support for this podcast is provided by Smart Recruiters, the hiring success company. Smart Recruiters offers enterprise-grade recruiting software designed for hiring success. Move beyond applicant tracking with a modern platform that provides everything you need to attract, select and hire the best talent. From candidate relationship management to programmatic job advertising, recruitment marketing, collaborative hiring and embedded artificial intelligence. Experience a talent acquisition suite with intuitive user experience that candidates, hiring managers and recruiters all love. Leading brands like Bosch, IKEA, LinkedIn and Visa use smart recruiters to future-proof talent acquisition and expand their businesses globally. Visit smartrecruiters.com to find out how you can achieve hiring success as well. There's been more of scientific discovery, more of technical advancement and material progress in your lifetime and mine than in all the ages of history. Hi everyone, this is Matt Alder. Welcome to episode 209 of the Recruiting Future podcast. My guest this week is Matthew Said. Matthew was formerly the British number one table tennis player and is now a journalist and best-selling author of books such as Bounce and Black Box Thinking. His new book, Rebel Ideas, has just come out. And in it, he explores a topic that we've looked at a couple of times on the show, the importance of diverse thinking in teams and companies. In our conversation, Matthew talks us through his research with some great examples and has a lot of advice to share for talent acquisition and HR professionals. Hi, Matthew, and welcome to the podcast. A very good morning. Thanks for having me on. An absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Now, for the very few people out there who uh, may not have come across you and your work before, could you just give us a quick introduction to you and what you do? Well, I have quite a complex background. I'll give you a brief overview. I used to be a sportsman, a table tennis player. Uh, I was a British number one for 10 years and then retired from table tennis, moved into journalism with The Times. Um, but I think probably the biggest thing I do is is write books and um, the first one was Bounce in 2010, then Black Box Thinking in 2015. I wrote a children's book called You Are Awesome um, last year, and my new book, Rebel Ideas, is sort of around the same theme. It's about performance 
and finding an edge in a competitive world. Absolutely. And I think what you're sort of talking about in Rebel Ideas is a is a very relevant topic for everyone in the audience. Could you just, I suppose, Beth, the best place to start is why have you written this book um, and what's it about? Well, I became interested, very interested with my background in sport in the nature of teamwork. And my initial idea was to write a book about what distinguishes the very good teams or the great teams from the just good teams. And the more I researched this area, the more I kept coming back to the concept of diversity. And it seemed to me that the distinguishing feature of the truly great teams, the truly great organizations, the really collectively intelligent human groups, is that they both were diverse, but also had the right kind of diversity. And occasionally I've been to HR conferences and other conferences, and diversity, I felt, was being talked about very positively and passionately, but often occasionally anyway, in rather vague terms. And I wanted to try and drill down into precisely why diversity matters, when it matters, and how it contributes to the success, the innovation, and the intelligence of of teams and institutions. So in the research for the book, I mean, how did you research the book? Who 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 did you speak to? Where have you sort of gone to uh, you know, work work your ideas through and, and 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 find the kind of evidence for them? Oh well gosh. So researching the book, it's a combination of looking at the scientific papers. Uh, So the academic literature with randomized controlled trials and observational studies with some minimum level of rigor. And of course, on the other hand, trying to find really compelling real world examples to show that the research cashes out in the real world. And I enjoy that a lot. It's just so interesting. And I I think I'm probably a bit like you in a lucky position of um, having access to senior leaders at business level and, and in governments and the academics who research them. And so it's bringing all of these different threads together to create, I hope, and you can be the judge of this, uh, a book that reflects the complexity of the topic, but also does it in a in a digestible and fun way. So what are the sort of the sort of the headline learnings from the from the book? You mentioned the sort of the right the right kind of diversity. Um, you know, tell, tell us a bit more about that. Well, interestingly, it's, I was at a business conference when somebody was on the platform talking about the importance of diversity. Um, and there was a lot of nodding heads. And I think people intuitively get that this can be really important. But one of the questions was, if you're hiring uh, a sprint relay team, surely you should hire the fastest runners. And if the fastest runners are of the same gender, race, uh, religious background, sexual orientation, social class, why would that matter? And if you were going to diversify that team and by application hire slower runners, you probably wouldn't win the Olympic Games. And there was a bit of an atmosphere in the room when this observation was made. But I must say, I found myself nodding my head. It seems to me that in certain contexts, diversity really doesn't add to performance at all. And Sprint Relay is one example. I mean, Scott Page of Michigan University has come up with a lot of different examples where diversity really doesn't matter that much. But when you move from quite simple, linear, separable tasks to highly complex tasks, that I think is when diversity really starts to have 
profound and often counterintuitively large effects. So if you take, for example, economic forecasting, which is a great area to study because people give precise predictions, you can measure them on how accurate they are, and you can slice and dice the data. Um, in economic forecasting, diversity turns out to be incredibly significant. Um, and a very good experiment by Jack Soller, uh, just go through it briefly, a psychologist from Duke University, he took the top forecasters in the world, 258 of them. He measured their track record, their forecasting accuracy. The most accurate forecaster was about 5% more accurate than an average forecaster, uh, which isn't terribly surprising. You would expect there to be some variation. But then he took the top six forecasters and put them in what you might call a nominal team and took the average of their forecasts and compared it with the accuracy of the top forecaster. Now, in a running race, to go back to the sprint relay example, the time of the fastest runner, by definition, is faster than the average time of the top six runners. Is that fair? Yeah. Unless it's a dead heat. Um, but with the economic forecasting, the average of the top six forecasters it wasn't 1% more accurate or 5% more accurate or 10% more accurate. It was 15% more accurate than the top forecaster. Now, this is a dramatic and powerful effect. And why does it happen? It hinges on diversity of perspective. The six different economists have diverse models, different ways of making sense of economic phenomena. Each of those models contains useful information. And so if you bring them together, you get this big uplift in forecasting accuracy, providing you can eliminate the errors. And the errors are eliminated by the technique of averaging. Um, and it was just the, I think Jack, the psychologist who did this, was just shocked at the level of uplift that diversity brings to a complex domain like forecasting. And just to finish this off, when it comes to areas outside forecasting like innovation, creativity, problem solving, I think diversity has an even stronger effect. So um, leading on from that, I'm guessing... Obviously, that's why the book's called Rebel Ideas. Why, why rebel? Well, I don't mean in that title. Yes, it's, it's an interesting one. I didn't mean that people should rebel for the sake of it, but it was to contrast teams that are similar, where the constituents of the teams are similar in a certain meaningful way. We're drawn, I think, to people who often think like us and occasionally who even look like us. Psychologists sometimes call it homophily. It feels quite validating to be surrounded by people who reflect our views back to us and who corroborate our perspectives. It makes us feel a bit smarter. And so I think there is an unconscious drift within organizations towards clusters of people who think in very similar ways and therefore are not providing what I would call rebel ideas that challenge, cross-pollinate, diverge, and augment. And I try and bring to life how teams that do have um, a certain minimum level of rebelliousness within the team tend to perform much better. And did you come across um, any sort of really interesting examples of this in, um, in the research that you were doing? Well, there are lots and lots of examples. I think perhaps... Um, the one that I start the book with is a CIA, which had uh, in the build up to 9-11. 
And the CIA had very rigorous and state-of-the-art recruitment procedures. They tested potential analysts on all sorts of different dimensions of intellect, reasoning, analysis. They obviously did background checks, polygraph checks as well. And they did hire exceptional people. All of the ex-CIA analysts that I interviewed were remarkably bright, highly committed, patriotic to the American cause and so on, just what you would hope for. But because of this thing called homophily, these analysts tended to look and think in quite similar ways. They were largely white, male, Protestant, West Coast, American, liberal arts graduates. So there may have been some unconscious, well, there would have been some unconscious bias in the recruiting. Um, And it's fascinating how these very bright people shared the same blind spots. In a complex challenge, I think all of us would have to admit that we don't know everything. And that's why we need to work with people who have different backgrounds, perspectives, and meaningfully useful information that impinge on the problem we're trying to solve. And the CIA just didn't have that. And so they were talking to each other about the threat of al-Qaeda. They were agreeing with each other. Therefore, they were becoming more confident about their judgment. But they were missing um, the bigger picture. And I sort of build a chronology about what was actually happening in the Middle East and elsewhere and what the CIA were thinking, given the recent release of their confidential deliberations. And I think it is indisputable that they were effectively, the phrase I use is individually perceptive, but collectively blind. I mean, that's a, that's, that's a fascinating, fascinating example. From, a, from an employer recruitment, you know, HR perspective, what would your advice be to uh, companies in terms of, you know, what they can do to make sure they have, um, you know, this kind of diversity of, of thought within their, in their business in terms of, uh, you know, who they recruit, but also, you know, how, the, how they structure teams and, um, you know, run the company, basically? Yes, yeah, so I think there are vast implications. I mean, if you just go back to the economic forecast, forecasting for a sec. And sorry to go back to that, but you can get very clear, draw very clear inferences from this. Say, for example, right, so I'm going to do the, you're going to get bored of this, but the contrast between sprinting and economic forecasting for the last time, I promise. (laughs) If If you took Usain Bolt, the fastest runner in the world, or that the equivalent, whoever it is today, and cloned Usain Bolt, and you got four of them, in a relay team, that's quite a good relay team, isn't it? Because every member of your team is faster than every single runner in any other team. So long as they can pass the baton effectively, not as easy as it sounds, frankly, but anyway, you're going to win every single race. But say you've got the most accurate economic forecaster and could clone that forecaster and you put four or say six of them in a team. On the surface, it looks like an incredible team. Every individual in your team is more talented than any individual in any other team because every individual is more accurate. But if you go back to what I said earlier, the cloned group would be 15% less accurate than a diverse group of six economists who might be individually less talented. That, I think, is of fundamental significance to people who work in recruitment. Because the reason, by the way, is all of these six clones use the same model of the economy. So they make the same error 
and they share the same blind spots. When you bring diverse economists together, I mean, this is a mathematical truism, you're going to get an uplift in forecasting accuracy. I mean, in, in prediction markets, it's called the wisdom of the crowds, and it's it's a well-established thing. Um, uh, but it tells me, I think, and I, I think it ought to show that meritocracy in and of itself is a flawed way of hiring, because meritocracy just looks at how talented individuals are. Um, but if you are hypothetically a software company, and you have a valid tool that measures the potential of your um, recruits, and you hire the most talented recruits, it is possible that the most talented recruits went to the same university, which, say, for example, had a high reputation for software um, training, and they left that university having studied under the same professors, using the same models, the same heuristics, they share the same perspectives, perhaps even the same worldviews, that could be a collectively highly un unintelligent team. So being able to take a step back and to recognize that the ability of a group is a function both of the individual ability of its members and their collective diversity, that I think is the key insight. But that diversity has to be germane to the problem, of course. With economic forecasters, you want accurate forecasters who have different models. With um, uh, and in different, in other contexts, you would want different types of diversity, where those diverse dimensions impinge directly on the problem the organisation faces. I mean, that that's really interesting. Um, and I think the interesting thing for me is, you know, in lots of the conversations I have on the podcast and with clients and things like that, I'm starting to see that way of thinking um, coming in. Um, and it is very different from before because, you know, I'm thinking back 10 years or so and uh, people were trying to recruit literally people with the same background and the same because they, they felt they kind of get identical performance. So um, it, it's, it's, it's interesting to see that shift there's obviously uh, quite some way quite some way to go um f final final question from a from an individual perspective in some terms of someone's uh, you know some, someone's career and, and wanting to perform a, um, a, a certain level of, of anything um are there sort of any lessons that um, individuals can take from from these ideas yeah I, that's a really interesting question i think perhaps there is um in that that phenomenon where i think we do feel more comfortable surrounded by people who think in the same way as us, who are corroborating what we think, who are reflecting and mirroring our perspectives. It's to just see a potential alarm bell when that's happening too much. It may well be that we're surrounded by people who are just a bit too much like us, um, that we're recruiting people who think very similar to us, or that we have started to assimilate the dominant assumptions of the business. Um, and that we haven't got enough room for these rebel ideas, these divergent perspectives. I think it's very easy how it happens, but just being aware of the danger and seeing loyalty, not as people just agreeing with us, but occasionally challenging us to see constructive dissent as a potential positive uh, for an organization. Um, I mean, if we move, I mean, I've talked a lot about prediction, but if you move from prediction to say, for example, a very important area for businesses, which is innovation and creativity, the very intuitive way to see this is if you, for example, got a team together and asked each of the members of the team to come up with creative ideas to, for example, solve the obesity crisis, 
and each individual came up with 10 really useful ideas. So you've got 10 members in the team, each one of which has come up with 10 useful ideas. You might think that, you know, you've got 100 useful ideas, but each of these people thinks in the same way, and they all come up with the same 10 ideas. You only have 10 useful ideas overall. Whereas if you have 10 people who are different from one another, who come up with 10 different ideas, you've got 100 useful ideas, which is almost 1,000% more useful ideas. So you can have groups who are individually identical in terms of talent, but when you get that collective diversity, it has radical implications for creativity and innovation. And in the future, I think innovation is going to be almost, I mean, there's a big shift in the structure of innovation today, that it's mostly this diverse recombinant innovation rather than incremental innovation. And I think that for individuals who are in the innovation space, just recognizing there are people who think differently, who may have slightly different specialisms, who may come from a slightly different background, who might have ideas that can usefully cross-pollinate and really lift the level of the level of innovation. So where can people find you and find the book? Well, um, thank you. The book is called Rebel Ideas, The Power of Diverse Thinking. Um, Hopefully, that will be available in all good bookshops. Um, And uh, I have a website, and you can find that just by Googling Matthew Side. Matthew, thank you very much for talking to me. Thank you. My thanks to Matthew Said. You can subscribe to this podcast in Apple Podcasts or via your podcasting app of choice. The show also has its own dedicated app, which you can find by searching for Recruiting Future in your app store. If you're a Spotify or Pandora user, you can also find the show there. You can find all the past episodes at www.rfpodcast.com. On that site, you can subscribe to the mailing list and find out more about working with me. Thanks very much for listening. I'll be back next week, and I hope you'll join me. This is my show. Welcome to Don't Retire, Graduate, the podcast that asks you what you want to be when you grow up so you can graduate into retirement with a purpose and a passion, whether you're 25, 85, or any age in between. Gain actionable financial and mindset tips from your favorite authors, podcasters, and influencers to help you reach that exciting next chapter. Listen now and start building your path to financial freedom and reframing what retirement can mean to you. This is your host, Eric Brotman, reminding you, don't retire, graduate.